today on Ag News Daily. Uh, we are uh, one of two partners in Farm to Fork, the other being Ecolab. Um, Techstars has created a great process and collaborative environment where we all come together and say uh, what we believe our interests are. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined today by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, I am fresh off the road. I was traveling to Illinois today to chat with the Illinois Bankers Association. Got to speak with some folks there working in ag lending and banking. We talked about the commodity markets and I ran into Eric Snodgrass right as I was taking off. He was presenting right to a couple of speakers after me, but always good to get out there and see some groups in person. It's definitely a welcome change. You know, Delaney, it makes me giggle that so many people up in the Midwest can travel to different states so quickly. And, you know, there's so many states that you can go to in a short amount of time because in Texas, from like El Paso all the way to East Texas is 12 hours. And then all the way from, you know, North Texas to down to South Texas, like Corpus Christi and down by Mexico, it's 12 hours. So it takes forever just to get out of the state of Texas. That's true. I guess I forget how lucky we are that we can go into many states very quickly, whereas you cannot. Yeah, unfortunately not. But here in Lubbock, you know, it's easy to get to Oklahoma, Colorado, New Mexico. So a lot of people actually go skiing in Colorado and New Mexico during the wintertime. So that's always fun. But honestly, no quick ways to, to get anywhere. No, I suppose that's true, but there certainly is here. And actually, you'll indulge me for just one more minute here. As I was traveling across the state of Iowa and into Illinois, I was in Springfield, Illinois. So I got a pretty good glimpse at part of the eastern portion, excuse me, the western portion of this state. And I got to say, pretty much all in all, just like Pro Farmer Crop Tour was reporting, crops were looking pretty good across most of the state that I saw today. I would say there's a few pockets here and there of some corn that didn't look super great, but all in all, sounds like the corn crop is there. And I was talking to a couple of bankers afterward who also farm or deal, of course, with farmer customers, and they kind of echoed the same thing. It really seems like we've kind of got maybe a line or a divide between the eastern and western corn belt as far as production goes. And those of us on the western side of things, maybe not so lucky this year as far as production goes, but those on the eastern side, Illinois included, definitely are looking pretty good as far as their corn crop goes. So just another quick little update there, a little crop scouting from the road, Ashton. You know, we talked earlier in the growing season, you know, in particular, or particularly, excuse me, about cotton. And, you know, you kind of said the same thing for your neck of the woods in terms of corn and soybeans about a lot of crops not having a lot of uniformity. But I think, you know, at least for cotton, that things are looking on the upside. So I think we started out a little bit weary on basically all ends. But now that we're, you know, into the growing season, almost a harvest here, things are looking up for, you know, not everyone, but I think for a lot of folks. And so I think that's fantastic news to hear. It certainly is, Ashton. But unfortunately, I've got a piece of news here that is not so fantastic dealing with the Prop 12. You know, I I hate to say this, but I kind of feel like my head was in the sand on this a little bit just because I kept thinking, oh, this will get resolved. This will sort itself out. And unfortunately, we had another step today, but in the wrong direction for agriculture. So basically here we saw the 
Iowa Pork Producers Association, along with other groups, filed to challenge California's looming law on Proposition 12, you know, that California is banning businesses from selling pork from hogs that were what they call confined in a quote-unquote cruel manner or essentially pens with less than 24 square feet of space for each breeding hog. And so Iowa pork producers argued against this. They filed with the U.S. District Court, and we saw that thrown out today. A federal judge in Iowa has thrown that out in our latest attempt to block California from enforcing this animal welfare requirement on pork sold in the state. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that all Iowa producers would have to abide by those Prop 12 rules, but it does limit our ability to sell pork to the state. And of course, Iowa is the number one pork producing state. And so that would drastically limit our ability to send products to the state. And of course, these regulations go into effect as of January 1st. But uh, the judge that ruled against this basically said, quote, Proposition 12 applies generally to pork production without regard to the state of origin. And the fact that Iowa pork producer, excuse me, that Iowa produces the most pork in the country is merely fortuitous. And uh, that was said earlier this week, and we saw National Pork Producers Council, of course, also located partially in Des Moines, partially in D.C. They also echoed some comments. There was a quote from NPPC spokesman Jim Monroe, who I know we've had on the podcast before, that basically NPPC is also continuing to engage California on the development of these final regulations, and that they're still proposing that you know, we see a request of delayed implementation of Prop 12 for at least two more years. And he said, quote, the fallout from this thought flawed law includes higher food prices, less choice and pork industry consolidation as smaller producers struggle with compliance costs. So I think that's a very real concern that, of course, folks in California maybe aren't as concerned about there. Um, but we're not out of the woods yet. I think there's still a lot of question marks around this. I mean, I'm really hoping we see something fixed here before January 1st, but that deadline is quickly looming. And, you know, I, I do get this question actually from time to time. What do I think is going to happen with Prop 12 and how is it going to impact, again, Iowa, one of the largest pork producing states? And I don't really have a good answer. I think there's just a lot of question marks. Ashton, I know you are in the pork industry. You guys raise raise hogs. I don't know if your dad's mentioned anything to you about it. No, he really hasn't. We don't. We definitely don't produce at, you know, a commercial level like people up, you know, in your neck of the woods, Delaney. But it's definitely a, a big concern. I mean, we talked about it earlier this summer at World Pork Expo. And I, I think it's really devastating news. And honestly, from the way that things have been going, I'm not sure that a reversal or, you know, any kind of positive light that you could probably try and grasp from this is on the horizon. No, unfortunately not. So we, again, this is a story we'll definitely have to continue to watch because it could impact uh, pork producers' livelihoods directly here. Hopefully not right away, but eh, maybe longer term. And maybe, you know what would be best? Maybe California. Unfortunately, I know we've got a lot of ag producers in the state too, but maybe California just will quit eating pork altogether, Ashton. Just kidding. That probably wouldn't happen, but I, I don't know what's going to come of all this. Well, and you know, Delaney, another thing that could potentially hurt our U.S. pork producers, other than Prop 12, is African swine fever. 
And it's been looming a little bit since it had hit the Dominican Republic last month. And there's, again, been some question marks in this situation, too, on what would happen if it were to reach reach U.S. shores. The USDA announced earlier, I believe it was today, maybe it was yesterday, but recently they announced its intent to designate Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands as African swine fever, quote, protection zones. The World Organization for Animal Health designation would allow the U.S. to maintain its current animal health status should African swine fever or any other foreign animal disease be detected on those island territories. NPPC President Jen Sorensen says that this preemptive step would help preserve the continuity of U.S. pork exports. She also says that U.S. biosecurity efforts have been significantly bolstered since African swine fever began spreading in the Asia-Pacific region, and the industry needs to increase those efforts given the proximity of the recent outbreak in the Dominican Republic. There are no imports still of pork, animal feed, or other pork production products into the U.S. from the DR, and I, I don't exactly know the the details of this new USDA announcement and this designation, but I think it's just one step closer to making sure and, and ensuring that our pork producers are biosecure. Yeah, absolutely. And definitely a good step in the right direction. You know, God forbid we ever do see African swine beavers touch the U.S. shores, that would just be catastrophic for the industry. So it feels like a good step towards getting some other things put in place here. Uh, but Ashton, I want to switch tracks here just a little bit. Unfortunately, we got kind of another blow to the ag industry today. Kind of two parts here. One, we saw in this week's report put out by the Energy Information in Administration, or EIA, that U.S. ethanol production came in at its lowest level in five months last week for the week ending August 20th, with a 40,000 barrel decrease from the week prior and the lowest seven-day average since March 19th. Now, a couple of reasons could be behind this, but the biggest one that I'm at least a little concerned about is that potentially we're shutting back down from this new Delta variant. But not only that, another part of this, which is again still in question, is maybe not only the Delta variant and and things shutting back down or people being a little less excited to go out and about, but the other part of this that could could be a reason why we saw ethanol trading lower is that the Biden administration here, the EPA underneath the Biden administration, I should say, is expected to kind of deliver a blow here to the biofuels industry. And they're expected to deliver those to be pre-2020 levels. Um, And so we actually did see that happen. We saw just uh, maybe about a couple of hours ago before we recorded the podcast today, the EPA has sent According to a source, annual blending targets to the White House for regulatory review, which kickstarts, of course, a two-year process. But the guess here is, according to this source, that the proposal is going to aim to get the RFS program back on track. They're trying to basically kind of play both sides of the aisle here. But they were essentially assuming that this would decrease quotas under the Biden administration. And so we don't have official word yet. This story is just quoted from a quote-unquote source. We don't have any official confirmation about what this proposal is that just got sent to the White House today. But I expect we'll see some big news coming out maybe tomorrow, if not early next week, on what this 
intended blending target will be coming from the Biden administration? Yeah, I think that there's been a lot of back and forth when it comes to these blending obligations and these these mandates. A lot of people took to Twitter last week um, talking about how Reuters was reporting both raising and lowering biofuel blending requirements. And there was a lot of confusion. And I honestly think that this just adds to the mix since we don't have any kind of hardcore confirmation or anything. But like you said, Delaney, really hoping that we get some news early into next week, but one that we're just going to have to sit and wait on once again. Yeah. And, you know, we may see a little bit of a news dump tomorrow since it's a Friday. (laughs) That's always a key time. It seems like for, especially in politics, them to dump some fresh news and then say, all right, everybody, goodbye. We're hanging out for the weekend. So maybe we'll see that come out tomorrow. Maybe we won't, but it's definitely something that we will stay on top of because it definitely will continue to impact the ethanol and of course, in turn, the corn industry. Absolutely. Delaney, you hit the nail on the head there, but I am all out of news for today. All I had to really talk about was the pork industry and those mandates. So I'm all out. Do you have anything else for us before we talk markets? I don't think I do, Ashton. So let's go ahead here and hop in and chat markets for today, folks. And we did see... Uh, well, Well, actually, the first thing to note here is that we are heading into delivery now for the September contract. So we're seeing a little bit of strength today in the September soybean contract, but of course that is in the delivery period now. So our attention really does turn to new crop corn in both corn and soybeans. We're going to focus on that today and moving forward. Ashton, remind me of that if I forget tomorrow, but new crop corn December contract traded a lower a penny today to close at 550 and three quarters November soybeans down six and a half cents to hold at 1326 and a quarter in the wheat pits today the December Chicago contract added 13 and three quarters cents to close at 739 and a quarter hopping over into the livestock pits we saw the October live cattle contract shed 70 cents to close at 12960 the deece down 65 cents to close at 13562 and a half. And in the feeder cattle pits, the October contract today down a dollar to close at 168.27 and a half. Hopping over to look at the lean hog markets today, the October contract shedding 85 cents to close at 87.90. The Dece down 55 cents to close at 81.40. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures, October today down 28 cents to close at 16.92. Ashton, without further ado, fill us in on who we're talking to for today's interview. Today, we are talking to Lawrence Wang of Cargill about the Farm to Fork Accelerator class. Well, for today's Ag News Daily podcast, we are talking to Lawrence Wang, who is the Director for Digital Strategy Development at Cargill. Lawrence, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So we're talking about something pretty special. I think it's definitely interesting. We're talking about the Farm to Fork Accelerator class. And this is a program that has been around for about four years now. I believe this is the fourth class going through. But before we get started on kind of what's happening this year, why don't we get a little bit more background on you, Lawrence, and a little bit more background on the program as well? Yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity to share a little bit, little bit about me. My career's all a bit in technology, kind of more starting in that traditional 
IT space, but uh, moved over into digital and then and innovation. Um, I particularly joined Cargill because um, Cargill was just getting started on uh, their digital transformation and how we show up in our markets and how we improve um, our own operations. Um, and so I've been at Cargill for about uh, four and a half years, all on this journey of helping Cargill explore and understand um, how to uh, move into um, gaining more value for our customers and for our shareholders and our and, and our employees through digital. Yeah, so that's 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 a little bit about me. How we got started with with Farm to Fork is a little bit of a little bit of a uh, journey. Um, I know that um, we can take give credit to others in the in the corporate environment here in the Twin Cities that have been active in engaging in in, in the startup community and helping to. Um, make Minneapolis and St. Paul a great tech startup um, ecosystem. Um, and so we had heard about the uh, retail uh, accelerator that Techstars was running with Target and had the opportunity to meet Brett Broll, um, who is a manager director of Techstars. And he pitched the idea of Farm to Fork um, to us. And um, with support from my leader, who is Justin Kershaw, who is the, the CIO of Cargill, uh, we we moved forward with it, and it was really in the spirit of learning. Um, Cargill um, is a great company. We have uh, amazing operations all around, all the way around the world, um, but we also know we needed to evolve. We needed to learn what it meant to um, to engage in in the exciting world of innovation uh, with technology, with digital. And that so much of it was happening outside of our company walls as well. And so this was our opportunity to not only learn from it, but also be an active participant and helping that overall ecosystem thrive. Um, cause we know that there's a lot of problems in, in that we need to solve to feed the few feed of the growing population in the future. And we need Car Cargill will do our part, but we also need innovators, um, to help us bring new solutions to help, um, to, to feed the world. And Lawrence, I feel like the world of technology is, of course, always changing. And with that being said, I think that there's a couple of, at least in the ag industry, a couple of key technologies and innovations that are, quote unquote, kind of, you know, big right now. So what are we really seeing among the, the class that's going through Farm to Fork right now? What are some of the, the themes? Yeah, um, you know, a big theme uh, with with our class, our, all of our classes, I'd say is, um, one is, is making tools through just software or software as a service, um, and accessible to different players in the industry and then connecting the data that uh, gets through that, that those software services, um, and to make, to, to solve problems in the supply chain. So whether it be, um, a software company that's helping with food quality, um, or, or, tr or just helping farmers track food safety issues. Like some of it is, is really not bleeding edge. It's just applying the technology that we use every day, um, into, into those very kind of paper driven old school processes. So, um, you know, this industry is, is ripe for that, those kinds of easy, easier, less cutting edge technologies. Um, but then ultimately seeing what the data can tell us. Um, we have also seen quite a few companies um, bring um, some IoT or Internet, Internet of Things. Um, again, 
Um, there's a lot of data to be captured and a lot of things that we just to, that, that can make the supply chain more efficient. We can't put people or humans at every point and having, having Internet of Things to help capture um, information or data. And, and probably a subset of that, depending on how you define it, is computer vision. Uh, we've, seen, we've seen companies in every one of our classes uh, look at computer vision, whether it's analyzing, um, you know, uh, analyzing food for, for um, you know, uh, contaminants or things that shouldn't be there or for food for or grading quality. Um, those are all things that um, we're excited about. Um, and, and, you, and we've seen in the industry, there's, there's a great amount of investment going into food and ag with those kinds of technologies. And Lawrence, I want to know a little bit more about the logistics of this. Are startups applying to be a part of the Farm Fork Accelerator, or are you guys going and handpicking them? And then what kind of mentorship is really going on here once they are integrated into the class? So I can give a little bit of credit to Techstars and why we felt it was important to work with one of the leaders in these seed stage accelerators and Techstars being one of them. Um, is and we've really we've really um, trusted the TechStars brand and the network and the reach. So we really lean on TechStars to do the scouting and the recruiting of of startups that may have interest in entering the accelerator. They have the network, they have the reach, um, and they have the expertise. Um, and so so it's really TechStars program to run. Um, uh, we are uh, one of two partners in Farm to Fork, the other being Ecolab. Um, Techstars has created a great process and collaborative environment where we all come together and say uh, what we believe our interests are in 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 companies. And Techstars takes that and runs with it and finds the companies. Um, and so, um, and then with that comes kind of a a selection process um, that 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 Techstars uses, and we we are active participants in that as well. So. Um, we feel like it's a very collaborative process, although we really depend on Techstars to drive it. Um, second is um, in terms of the logistics of the pro program, what Techstars will tell you is that the, the differentiation and the strength of all of their programs is the mentorship. Um, and um, mentorship means a number of things. The outcomes of mentorship are either uh, funding, um, advice, or Rolodex. Um, and for those who don't know what a Rolodex is, that's basically network. And so it's, it's, um, and the opportunity for a, 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 a brand new founder who might be, um, not as deeply entrenched in a market like food or ag to get access to an expert in the industry, uh, whether it's at Equilab or Cargill or other partners that participate like General Mills. Um, is is huge, and and we see that as a really valuable exchange. So a big part of the program is we bring upwards of twenty five to thirty mentors each year um, that will meet with each of the TechStars um, Farm to Fork uh, founders um, in kind of a speed dating fashion, and, and just as a way to network, to hear um, what they're to give advice, um, to give suggestions, give feedback. Um, and then possibly to to extend their relationship and, men and mentor ongoing. Well, now that we have all of that covered, Lawrence, I want to talk about the demo day because this is a part of the program that these companies are going to pitch their ideas and what they've been working on. So tell us a little bit more about what we might be able to expect from that when it is all of those great details. Yeah, uh, what you can expect from that is 
is just um, amazing energy and excitement and confidence in in what our founders of Farm Before are how they're going to change the world. And um, you know, the benefit that I have is that I've seen all of their pitches before the accelerator, and we've seen um, where their pitches end up at the end of the accelerator. And it's not just about uh, public speaking skills or you know nice pretty powerpoints, but what the accelerator really does for them is it gives those um, founders confidence and focus of what to um, what they are going to go after and what they're going to pursue and 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 they you see it come through in the in the demo day and you see the passion. Um, you know uh, what tech stars will say is that team, team, and team is what matters, and you see you see the excitement and the energy from the founders as they as they pitch their companies to potential investors. This all sounds fantastic, Lawrence, and I'm sure that our audience agrees. So if they want to learn a little bit more about what you guys are doing at Farm to Fork and about the companies that are a part of the 2021 class, where can they go online to find out some more info? Yeah, the best spot to go is off the Techstars website. Um, and if you um, if you go to techstars.com, um, it's under the accelerators and there's a site for Farm to Fork. And so... If there's a if there's a budding entrepreneur out there who has a startup that they're bringing um, for a future class, they can reach out to the managing director, um, or they can see um, get get some information on what's happening with our current class and to get information about the demo day that's coming up um, here this fall. Awesome. Well, Lawrence, I just want to thank you once more for coming on and chatting about this with us today. And then also want to share my congratulations to those who are part of the 2021 Farm to Fork Accelerator class. Thanks for having me. Thanks again there to Lawrence and those at Cargill for hanging out with us this morning, chatting about some really cool technology. Hopefully we might be able to get some of those startups on for a Tech Tuesday podcast, Delaney, because we're always looking for great people to talk to. Yeah, I agree, Ashton. I agree. Good find there. Well, folks, we are going to continue to have some great people on here in the next few weeks or so. So you'll have to tune in at agnewsdaily.com to hear those stories and follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram while you're at it. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.